0: For his grace today. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, amen. He's too good for us to not believe. Amen. I'm always thankful for the opportunity to be able to minister. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to share a word with you today. This one's going to hit a little different. I haven't been able to preach this one here yet because it just hadn't been the right time but this is probably my favorite message to preach for multiple reasons um, <clears throat> and what's interesting is and I don't think it's just interesting I think it's a God thing I'm gonna share a little bit of my testimony with you today and as we were leaving this morning I never check the mail on Sundays. I wait till Monday, but I saw the mailbox was down as we were driving by at the end of the road there. And so I saw a package in the mail and I said, okay, well it might rain, so I'll pull through and grab it. So I pulled through and grabbed it and I reached in and there was two envelopes inside and then the package. And I pulled it out and my heart dropped. Because on one of these envelopes, I've got 17,000 of them at the house. In the top left-hand right left hand corner was the name of my attorney. And I'll share a little bit with you about my testimony today. But if, for those of you that's never been in any court situations, when you see a letter from an attorney, your heart will drop. Because there ain't never nothing good in the letter from the attorney and I hadn't spoken to my attorney in a year and a half because God showed up and showed out. Well, I froze and I felt it hit me. My body went numb, that numb feeling you just you couldn't even hear anything, You just ears start ringing and I said, "Oh God, I don't want to do this again. I have done this too many times." And so I opened the envelope. And right at the top, there was a little yellow sticky note, and it said, this is good news. Because my attorney knew when I saw it, I was going to die. And I opened it up, and there was a letter, and it was my attorney. And I hadn't spoken to him in a year and a half. It's been right about a year, a year and a half. And the letter was explaining, you overpaid me. Now, for those of you that don't know, when you go to court three times and you face 16 felonies for something you didn't do, your bill ends up being about $490,000 is whatever what I spent. I had to mortgage my home and everything else. But I overpaid him. And it was an unexpected gift and surprise in the mail. I wasn't expecting. But what's interesting is I wasn't planning on preaching this today. Until yesterday afternoon. And this message is what got me through those five years. So bear with me as I let you in on what gave me strength. I call this a prepared table. I'm gonna read out of 2 Samuel 9 1 through 11. And it's an interesting story, maybe one that you've read before, maybe one that you've overlooked. In 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 11, it says, One day David asked, Is there anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked? Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes. One of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. We didn't ask you what was wrong with him. We just asked you, was there one left? Where is he, the king asked, in Lodibar. You might not know what that is, but I promise you, you know somebody or have been there yourself. In Lodibar, Ziba told him, at the home of Machir, the son of Amiel. And so David sent for him. I love the King James Version. It says, so go fetch him. David sent for him and brought him from Micaiah's home, and his name was Mephibosheth. Now we've been reading for him for a while, and we just found out his name. Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, "Greetings, Mephibosheth." Mephibosheth replied, "I am your servant." Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show you kindness because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you would show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and to his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba replied, Yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, he ate regularly at David's table. Psalms 23 verse 5 says, Thou hast prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Father, I love you, and I thank you for the opportunity to be able to share this word. God, I ask that you anoint this word, that it go out and accomplish that that it's sent to do. Father God, I ask that you anoint the ears that hear it and fertilize the heart to receive it. God, I thank you for this opportunity, and it's in your precious name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. And when we read this scripture here in this story, there's a lot to pull from it. So bear with me as we make our way through it. In the first few verses there, we have King David. And we know that King David is through whom the seed of Abraham has come and will eventually come our promised king and savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're getting down the line here in history, making our way to the savior. King David has actually become someone. At this point in the story, you have King David who has become someone and he made it from the pasture to the palace. You see, David was the little shepherd boy that was forgotten about, right? We've heard pastor preach that a few times. David was the shepherd boy that was forgotten about, but that was supposed to be king and he was anointed as king and he was brought into the palace. And you know the stories, if you don't go read them, there's a whole lot of stuff that happens with Saul. Here we see him. He's finally king. In 2 Samuel 8 and 15, it says, so David reigned over all of Israel and did what was just and right for the people. He starts the story out by asking himself. I don't know if anybody was there. I just like to think he's like me and talks to himself. Just walk through the house and talk. If anybody wants to listen, listen and respond. He said, is anybody alive that I could show them kindness for Jonathan's sake? There wasn't nobody there. He had to go get somebody to listen to him. I like that. Because ain't nobody going to listen to me. I'll find somebody. Go get them and bring them here. I need to ask a question and I need an answer to it. So he went and got a servant and, and he brought the servant over and he says, Is there anybody that I could show them kindness because I made a promise? In verse 3, we have this servant named Ziba who comes into the picture. And Ziba's familiar with the house of Saul because it was Saul's servant. And he asks this question again. And here we have Ziba's response. And I love this because you get the response from a servant. It's one thing for you to be kind to someone. But it's a whole other thing for you to be kind and show God's kindness. When's the last time you show someone the kindness of God? You see, kindness costs you nothing. He asked Ziba this question simply because he wanted to show him kindness for the sake of a promise he made his best friend who died. No act of kindness, no matter how small it is, is ever wasted. Kindness is the light that dissolves walls between people and families and nations. If we would learn to be kind, we might stay out of a war somewhere. Kindness is a sign of strength. Kindness is the language in which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. We have to get back to this place where we will call someone out to show them kindness. I want to talk about Ziba for a minute because I studied this for a little while throughout my time and sitting at home for five years. And I like Ziba. I realized I like Ziba. He doesn't have much acknowledgement in scriptures. In fact, he's only mentioned three different times, 2 Samuel 9, 2 Samuel 16, and 2 Samuel 19. He is the original servant and a servant of Saul. He was a tiller of the land. His name means placed. The servant was strategically placed into the palace for this moment. His name means to be placed strategically. Ziba is not just a servant. He's a turning point in this story. See, David's walking through the house saying, is there anybody that I can show kindness to? And they had to summon this servant. You can't overlook the fact that this entire story is contingent upon the one who remained placed. The leadership of the house has changed. It's gone from Saul to David. But the worker has remained placed. David summons him. And notice he didn't even recognize him. He said, are you Ziba? I would have said, are you David? I, that's why I wasn't a servant. I've been working in your house. Are you Ziba? Are you David? You should know me. I work in your home. That's how unrecognizable this servant was. That's the lowest status. You don't even recognize this servant. that a preach right there. I ain't going to go down that road, but it will. In this moment, we have a king that's seeking direction from a servant. He's summoned a servant and he's asking them, do you know the answer to my question? Because nobody else here does. And Ziba gives him the answer. He replies, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive and he's crippled in both feet. Well, we didn't ask you that, but you gave it anyways. He said, where is he? He's in Lodibar. Here we have him him responding in such a way that so many of us do in our life. He responds and says, yes, it's one of Jonathan's sons. He's crippled in both feet. Why did his condition become his identity? You knew his name. But you said, yes. Yes. Didn't even call him by his name. One of his sons, but he's crippled in both feet. I want to talk to some people this morning that your identity has become your condition. And your condition has become your identity. Where you get stuck in what they call you. You see, your condition can become what defines you if you're not careful. You understand that we still call her the woman with the issue of blood. And she's been healed a long time. Blind Bartimaeus, we still call him Blind Bartimaeus, and he's had his sight for quite some time. Thomas the Doubter, don't doubt anymore, yet we still call him Thomas the Doubter. If you aren't careful, you'll refer to someone by something that they're not. You have to understand that your identity can change when you step into Christ, and you don't have to be called what you were. I promise you, if she walked in the door, you wouldn't call her the woman with the issue. She'd correct you very quickly. You see, in order to understand this story and understand the issue, you have to understand the why. What's going on that his condition has now defined him? You see, his purpose in this whole entire situation Is strategic to the word of God. We can learn a lot from it. But if you aren't careful and you don't study it, you you will get messed up in understanding why his condition has defined him. You see, purpose will always be revealed when we ask why. Petty people ask what. But deep people ask why. You want to know the purpose of something. You ask why. We understand he's crippled in both feet. You told us that before you told us his name. But why? I want to take a moment and talk to you this morning about a place where Mephibosheth ended up in his life. Mephibosheth ends up in this place called Lodibar. And Lodibar literally means no pastures. It means no communication. Isolation. It literally means without a pasture. So if you don't have a pasture, you don't have a shepherd. If you're in a place where there is no pasture, you don't have a shepherd. And if you've ever lived in a place where you felt like you didn't have a shepherd, you've lived in isolation. It's one thing for people not to call you, but it's a whole other thing for God not to answer. I've been there. You say, God speaks. Yeah, he does, but he also hushes. He didn't say nothing for 400 years. You see, we know what's wrong, we, we know what was wrong with the son of Jonathan, but why? We have to know the why. You see, if you don't know the why, then when he hobbles in the room, you'll start making fun of him. If you don't know someone's why, then you will not understand their purpose. We have to always grasp the why in a situation, If you limit yourself to the what, then you'll never, ever fully understand purpose and the value of potential. So let's look at why. You can't find why in this story. You have to go back a little bit. In 2 Samuel 4 and 4, it says Saul's son son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. He was just five years old. I'll come back to that in a minute. When he was five years old, the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. Meaning his daddy and his granddaddy had just died. He learned about it when he was five years old. And when the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him. And he became crippled in both of his feet. In order to understand what's happening here, you have to understand that during these times when a war would break out, kings would try to wipe out an entire family line to prevent the descendant from seeking the throne again. So if I could get Saul, then I got to make sure I get Jonathan. If I can get Jonathan, then I got to make sure I get Mephibosheth so that none of them try to rise up and take over after the battle. If Jonathan were to be killed, that meant they were coming after Mephibosheth. And here we have that he's going to be next in line to the throne. Have you ever felt like you were next in line and then something happened and you took 15 steps backwards? Have you ever felt like your season was just about to get here and then all of a sudden it left? But don't forget he was just five years old. Pastor, what's the number five mean? Grace. There was five covered porches. The number five is grace. He was five years old. I want to stop right here and just let you know that no matter what you're going through, grace is still extended to you. You might not see it, but grace is still extended to you. The report came, the bad news. The report was what nobody was wanting. The report was that his father and his grandfather had been killed. But when the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up. And as she ran and hurried away, she dropped him. So we know now that he's crippled and he's in a place that's unexplainable. He ends up in a place of isolation where there's no pastures, no greenery, no life. Having no speech. Now oftentimes we can associate this with a poor place, but this wasn't a poor place. You see, to understand that, you have to understand who Amaya was and Makar. They were not poor folk, so he was still being taken care of, just in a different place. We can't overlook the fact that his nurse dropped him. I want to talk to some people this morning that was dropped because of someone else. You see, this nurse obviously loved him. She was obviously his caretaker. She was more than likely the one to watch him grow up. She would have been the one to comfort him, the one to take care of him, the one to look after him and protect him, the one that would have woke up in the middle of the night when he was sick, the one to teach him to walk, the one to teach him to talk. You see, that's what nurses and caretakers did back then. But in this moment, She was the one that was going to have to protect him. And in her attempt to protect him, she picked him up and hurried and dropped him. What do you do when it's the one that loves you that drops you? What do you do when it's the unexpected one in your family or in your friend circle or in your life that you see every single day that drops you? You see, I spent many years of my own life feeling dropped. I spent many years to the point that I missed the fact that I was still in the shadow of the Almighty. To understand that, you have to understand that the word a mile, son of Amiel, Makar's home, that name there means the kinsman of God. He may not have been in the palace, but he was put away in Lodibar. Now, Lodibar is not a place you want to be, I promise you, but there's still grace in Lodibar. I felt dropped growing up. My mom and dad decided to choose other things than to choose me. And I blamed them for so long. It's one thing to end up in a storm in your life that completely changes the path forever. But what do you do when the situation is because of someone else? It's possible to endure pain and heartbreak because of the decisions of somebody else. Mephibosheth ended up in this place of no communication and isolation because of the brokenness by his nurse. In a moment of desperation, she made a decision that most of us would have made. She picked him up to protect him, and in her rush, she dropped him. You had plans in your life, but somebody dropped you. You wanted to go to the next level, but somebody dropped you. You were next in line for promotion, but somebody dropped you. And all of this was out of his control. Have you ever felt like that whatever happened to you is out of your control? You end up in this place called Lodibar. Bar. Lodi Bar is a place of no communication. This is a place where you go where you don't want to be around anybody. Have you ever felt that way? Where you don't want to, you got so much to say, but you don't want to talk, you couldn't pay me to talk. This place of desperation that you get to that you feel like you you can't tell anybody because they're not going to understand. And then, before you know it, being around people makes you anxious. And then, before you know it, you hate people. I've been there and I've done that. This is where you don't want to talk and where you feel overlooked and forgotten. Lodibar is a place where you learn to hush your mouth because you no longer feel good enough. You see, favor's not fair, but whenever you're in a situation where you can't find favor, then you just see unfair. You see, he was in a place where he was supposed to be king. Someone else dropped him at five years old, and then he ends up in Lodibar, which is a place that is not where he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be in the palace, but he ended up in the pit. How fair is it that he's supposed to be in a place and he can't be? Because you see now, even if they were to come find him, he can't be king. Being lame in both feet, they wouldn't allow you to be king. You see, Lodibar is not a place where you find yourself overnight. Lodibar is the place where it happens little by little by little in your mind. It's a place of isolation that starts to take place where you start to say things like, it's all my fault, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I am broken, I'm just a failure. God can't use somebody like me. There's no way I can do that anymore. You see, this place called Lodibar will cause you to get to the point where you see no value in yourself. And when your identity associated with your failures it will affect your walk your worth your words your witness and your worship I say it again when your identity becomes associated with your failures it will affect your walk your worth your words your witness and your worship if you've ever seen An individual that is in a place where their identity is associated with their failures, you can tell by the way they talk, by the way they worship, by the way they witness. We start to play the blame game. We get to Lodi Bar and there's no communication, but in order to build ourselves up, we have to blame somebody. You see, it's very, it could be very easy for Mephibosheth to say, I blame the nurse. Because the truth is that it was truly the nurse's fault. It's not to say that it's not true that it was the nurse's fault. It was her fault that he was lame in both feet. But blame is something the enemy likes to use from the very beginning. In Genesis 3, you see, we, when, when they come in and the enemy tries to, to convince Adam and Eve, the first thing that happens after they fall, God said, where y'all at? Adam, where art thou? I'm over here hiding. Why are you hiding? Who told you you were naked? That woman you gave me. Didn't even answer the question, just automatically pointed the finger. That's the reason. And then he asked her, what, what did you do? And she said, that snake you made. So all of a sudden, we've turned it around and we blamed God in Genesis 3. And, and if you're not careful, you can start to cast blame for your condition. And blame starts to lead to unforgiveness. And unforgiveness gives birth to bitterness. And so you've got bitter Christians walking around. I can preach this because I've been there. I've been bitter. Bitterness will lead you to Lodi Bar, where you start to build up walls and isolate yourself. We can't seem to forgive those who've hurt us and come against us. We can't talk about it because nobody will see it from our perspective. They just won't understand. We've gotten so bitter that we can't find grace for anything. The birds flying will make you mad. Why do they get to go somewhere and I can't? I've been there. Your pain and your hurt becomes a part of your daily routine. And blame can lead to self-righteousness if you aren't careful. Blame always lays the fault at someone else's feet. And when you're self-righteous, you think that your personal problems and your emotional battles are someone else's fault. And you cannot see the entire time the grace that God has extended to you in your life. You will miss his amazing grace if you are not careful to stay out of Lodi Bar, But there's a king who made a promise. I need to talk to some people who have been in a place where you felt forgotten and I need to remind you that there's a king who made a promise. And my king keeps his promises. There's a king that's saying, if I can just go fetch him. If I can just get her into my presence, if I can just get them over here, I'll turn their life upside down. So David sent for him and brought him from Micaiah's home. And it says there, his name is Mephibosheth. Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson, and when he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect and said, David said, greetings. And Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. He did not even say hey. David must have sensed his fear because he said, don't be afraid. I intend to show you kindness because of my promise to your father. You see, you can't forget the fact that when you're at your lowest point, there's still a king that wants you. When you feel as though that someone has forgotten all about you, the cousins ain't called, the aunt and uncles deleted you off Facebook. I'm going to preach this because this happened to me. When the cousins quit talking to you because they don't want to be associated with you, When everybody has quit, there's still a king that wants you. When you don't feel worthy enough to stand on your own two broken feet, there's still a king that wants you. When you feel as though you've messed up so bad that you can't be used, you cannot be used anymore, you're broken, grace will come find you. I need to tell somebody this morning that grace is looking for you. You don't have to go looking for it. It will come and find you. I preached this before. Heaven's running after you. Today I want to tell you it is seeking you and wanting to take you in and wrap you up if you'll just let it. Aren't you thankful that grace came and found you? David said, is there anybody? Notice he didn't even care who it was. Is there anybody? God is saying today, is there anybody in this room that I can pour my grace out on? Ziba said, "Yeah, there's somebody, but he's broken." Ziba would say today, "Yeah, there's a whole room full of them, but they're broken." And the king says, "I don't care. Go get them. Go fetch them." He has become one with his condition. He's been in it so long he was just five years old. So you know at now he's an adult. He's made it through his condition. You, sometimes your condition lasts longer than you think it would or thought it would. And then all of a sudden you just become one with it. He's become one with his condition. He's lame in both feet. He's not fit to be king. He's supposed to be king, but he's not fit to be king. And so this leads him to a place that he cannot identify with what he is. He's identified with what he become. And God God is saying to you, you cannot become one with your condition because I'm wanting to pull you out of your condition and cover you with grace. So forget that and become this. David said, go fetch him. I love that word in the King James Version. It says fetch. Do you know what has to happen when you fetch something? You got to go pick it up. When I play fetch with the dog, I throw it, and they got to go get it. But in order to get it and bring it back, they got to pick it up. I'm going somewhere with that. God wants to fetch you and bring you into grace today. But here's the catch. In order for Mephibosheth to be fetched, we can't forget that he's lame in both of his feet and he can't walk. Somebody has to go pick him up. But hold on. It was someone who picked him up that got him in his condition. It was a woman that picked him up, that broke him. So in order to get into the king's presence, someone had to go fetch him, but he can't walk. So he's got to be picked up. David said, go fetch him. I know he's crippled. I know he can't walk. I know that his feet don't work. I know that she's broken. I know that she's lied. I know that he's lied. I know he's messed up. I know that she left. I know he left. I know the condition, but go get him. God is saying, I know the condition. I know what you've done. There's nothing that takes him by surprise, but go get him. Someone say, the king's on the way to get me. The king's on the way to get me. In order for Mephibosheth to be taken back, he had to crawl up in the arms of someone else and be picked up to be fetched. It was climbing into the arms that broke him. But God's saying, if you'll learn to trust again, I'll carry you back to the place where you belong. I know that crawling into someone's arms is what broke you. But if you'll trust me again... I won't drop you. I'll carry you back to the place that you belong. He didn't belong in Lodibar. He belonged in the palace. He was the king's grandson. And God's saying, if you will just trust the process, I will pick you up and carry you back to the place you belong. Proverbs 3, 5 5 through 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Pastor, that's hard when your heart's been broken. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he'll show you the path to take. If you'll you'll learn to let them in again, he'll show you. If you'll learn to let go of the past and the pain, he'll take you from the place of depression and anxiety and fear into deliverance. If you'll just learn to forgive and throw your hands up and surrender and crawl back into his arms, he'll pick you up and carry you to the place that you belong. But this is the hard part. It's one thing to be brought out of Lodibar, but it's a different thing to let Lodibar be brought out of you. What do you do when you've made it back to the palace, but you carried Lodibar with you? You see, you can see that in the scriptures here. He was taken to this place of no communication, and he comes out of this place. They they fetched him. They brought him back. They got him into the presence. They brought him to his house. That was his house first. And he's standing there, and he forgot who he was. He bowed low to the king. And he said, who is your servant? Now understand, David is king because that's God's will. But no one called Mephibosheth a servant. He called himself that. He said, who is this servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? So you've been brought out of Lodibar, but you're standing in the palace still talking as if you're in Lodibar. He said, a dead dog like me. You see, the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt, but they didn't leave their Egyptian mindset. They got out into the middle. Of, I'd have took every one of them back. God didn't call me like he did Moses. Because I'd have took every. Y'all want to go back? Come on. Are there no graves in Egypt? You brought us out here in the middle of the desert to die? How could you do that? I'd have said, let's go. Come on. Uber back this way. We're going back to the house because y'all are ungrateful. That's what happened. They were brought out of Egypt. They begged for God to get them out of Egypt. They begged for God to deliver them from their situation. They got out of their situation and they had rather gone back to their situation than to deal with the process of becoming into their purpose. You see, some of you have been where you are so long that you forgot who you were. David gave him a glimpse of grace Right there in the middle of his conversation with him and he missed it. You see, sometimes we'll miss it if we are so stuck in our condition that we can't see the grace. Sometimes God will show us something and we completely overlook it. David greeted him and he said, I'm your servant. And then David tells him all that he's about to do for him. And he says, who am I that you would do such a thing for a dead dog like me? He missed the fact that he just had been offered all that was his from the beginning. That's right there in the scripture. He said, I'm going to give you all that belonged to your grandfather. He missed it. He said, who am I that you would do such a thing for a dead dog like me? If you're not careful, you will allow your mentality to keep you from seeing the grace that God has poured out over your life. You see, when he was five years old, he's been picked up and dropped and taken and he had been hidden away. But understand this, if he had not gone to Lodibar, he would have been killed. If you had not gone through your situation, you would not be where you are right now today. He had been taken to this place and hidden and, and a place of no communication, no just complete isolation. Everybody forgot about him. But had he not, he wouldn't not have been protected. You see, you look at your condition as an affliction and as a limitation and as a burden. But if you see, it, you see it was his condition and his affliction that protected his life and put him into a place that he could be fetched by grace and placed at the table with the king. Psalms 119 and 71, it's my favorite. My suffering was good for me. It was good for me that I were afflicted. You see, you have to look at your situation and your circumstance and when you can get to the level of freedom inside of you that you can say it was good for me that I were afflicted, you will come un- unglued with an excitement to tell somebody about your place of Lodibar and how God can deliver them too. Right. It was good for me that I were afflicted. Had I not been afflicted, I would, not have, I would have been taken out. You should have been taken out a long time ago. You see, if the enemy had his way, you'd have been dead a long time ago. You should have been not here today. You should have been still locked up. You should have already overdosed. You should have been attacked and pulled through. You should be in a grave somewhere six feet under. But you're not. You're here today because God hid you in the shadow of his wings. Underneath the shadow of the Almighty. Grace covered you. You can't see it because of your broken feet. You see, your season of Lodibar gives you a seat at the table. You have something to talk about now. You have a testimony that can't be told by... Do you realize can't nobody tell your testimony? It's yours. We're made overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. One of those has already been taken care of. The blood of the Lamb's already been taken care of. The word of the testimony is on us to tell somebody. But you got to take a seat at the table. Somebody say the table. The table, the table, the table. Somebody say table. You see, the table is found all throughout the Bible. In Exodus 25 and 23, it says that God made sure there was a table in his house. He said, then make a table of acacia wood, 36 inches long, 18 inches wide, and 27 inches high. And then in Job 36, 16, it says, God is leading you away from danger, Job, to a place free from distress. He is setting your table with the best food. Matthew 15 and 27, she replied, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table oh my lord I could preach that right there I love that so much there's so much on the master's table that even the dogs get to eat. he said who is that that I be such a lowly dog that you would do such for me it's okay that you feel that way there's enough for you too it will overflow from the master's table onto the floor that he is not lacking for nothing he has so much on his table that even the dogs get to eat you see you you got to get to the place that you can just get to the table if I can just get to the table i'll be fine luke 22 and 21 but here at this table sitting among us as a friend is the man who will betray me i'm not going to preach this but even judas gets to sit at the table some of y'all be mad he was sitting there you see the table is where we gather The table is where we find grace. The table is where we find forgiveness. It's where we find nourishment. It's the place where iron sharpens iron. The table is the place where you can taste and see that the Lord is good. The table is the place that you're able to experience the bread of life. If you're not careful, you'll miss the power of this text. When we leave the place of no communication and no pastures and we come into the palace in the presence of the king, the shepherd is waiting on us. You see, David started in the pasture for a reason. He was to be as a shepherd to the people. And when we come into the presence of the shepherd, we find grace. Someone say grace. Grace. Psalms 23, 1 through 6. The good shepherd provides for us, gives us a place of rest, restores our soul, leads us into right paths. He removes our fears. He assures us of his presence. He comforts us. He prepares a table for us. He anoints us. He fills us until we're overflowing. He declares his mercy and his grace and his goodness and his kindness over us. You see, there's a seat at the table for you. There's something about taking a seat at the table. On top of the Ark of the Covenant, there was a place called the Mercy Seat. And it was on this Mercy Seat that the sacrificial blood of animals would be sprinkled and and that would take the atonement of the sins for the people. But when Jesus was crucified and, and the veil was torn, that gave us access into the place that we call the Mercy Seat. You have access to sit down in mercy today. You've got a place waiting for you at the table because of what Jesus Christ did. The covenant-keeping king is inviting you to sit down at his table where he promised to meet us. You see, Mephibosheth was invited to have a seat at the king's table. And it's at this table that you can see grace show up. Mephibosheth was crippled in both of his feet. We know that. I've said it 55 times in this sermon. I need you to understand that because you've been crippled in something in your life for a long time. Someone had to go fetch him and bring him. And notice what the king asked him to do when he got into his presence. Pastor, he didn't ask him to run a race. He couldn't. He didn't ask him to lead a nation. He couldn't. He didn't ask him to go into battle. He couldn't. He didn't ask him to walk somewhere and give someone a message. He couldn't. The only thing the king asked him to do was something that he could do. Sit down. That's all he asked him to do. You didn't have to walk here. I came and got you. You don't have to do anything else but just sit down at my table. You see, this is where we find grace. Because the table Eliminates discrimination. The table eliminated the excuse of I can't. The table eliminates the mindset of I'm not good enough. It was at the table that Mephibosheth could now feel as an equal to those whose feet were not broken. When you sit at the table, grace will cover your brokenness. When he sat down, Nobody knew that his feet were broken. When he sat down, he was equal with those who could walk because they were sitting too. The table will bring you to a place that you don't feel less than anymore. The table will bring you to a place that your brokenness, your bitterness, all of that stuff that you've carried with you for so long, it's covered. None of us even know that your feet are broke if you'll just sit down at the table. None of us even care that your feet are broke if you'll just sit down at the table. That's all he's asking you to do today is sit down at the table. You see, it's because of a promise that David made Jonathan. Pastor, we only have grace today because of a promise. That's all we got. You see, I love this story so much because when I was walking through my trial, I need you to understand that I was falsely accused of something that I did not do. I had 16 felonies and I was looking at over 400 years in prison. And I made it through not one, but two trials and was looking at a third one. Most people don't go to court for one trial, much less two or three. And my wife asked me one day after about two and a half years of going through this, how do you make it every time we go to court and not fall apart? And it hit me like a ton of bricks because he prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies when I look across the courtroom I see those coming after me and my table didn't look like what I thought it was gonna look like but I was sitting at the table and it gave me strength because I know that the Word of God is to be true and he said I prepared that table for you. Sit at it. And out of that table, my life has been turned upside down and inside out. It was a table in a courtroom that I can't really explain to you. It wasn't in a palace. Court looked like a palace, but it wasn't. I found grace at the table. I started loving people again at the table. I found myself at the table. I heard what God called me to do at the table. I found healing and hope and wanted to turn people's lives upside down at the table. You see, at the table, Mephibosheth was offered all that his grandfather had owned. Joshua 24 and 13 says, I'll give you land that you did not work on. I'll give you towns that you did not build. I'll give you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. If that ain't good enough, it says it again in Deuteronomy 6 and 11. The house will be richly stocked with goods that you did not produce. You will draw water from the cisterns that you did not dig. You will actually get to eat from the vineyards and the olive trees and you didn't have to plant them. All you have to do is sit down at the table. Your sin is covered at the table. I don't care what you've done. You can come write it down if you want to and tell us all. I don't care where you've been. Your weakness is covered at the table. Your feet may be broken. They may have come against you in all different directions. You you may have been molested. You may have been cheated on and lied on. You may have been beat. You may have, whatever it is, is covered at the table. You have a table that's, it's been prepared for you. Nobody can sit in your seat. All he's asking you to do is just come to the table and sit down. Just pull up a chair and allow him to cover your past. Nobody at the table, is they don't even care your feet's broken. Theirs is probably broken too. Embrace this grace that God has for you this morning. All I'm asking you to do is just take a step to sit down at his table. And my favorite part of this scripture says, from that day on, meaning from this day on, you have a seat at the table. Nobody can take your seat away from you. It belongs to you. Nobody can take this grace from you. It's yours. From this day forward, You can partake in all that he has prepared for you. Food you did not have to grow. Houses that you did not have to build. I'm not talking about prosperity. I'm talking about he will show up in ways that you seriously cannot comprehend for your life. If you will just sit down at the table. From this day forward. From that day on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. He found his identity again. He was brought into the presence of the king. And he now identifies as one of the king's own sons. But you can't do that if you don't just sit down at the table you don't have to do anything else this is not based on works this is just based on making the decision to sit down at the table if you'll stand with me this morning you can say to yourself i'm done with lodi bar today You don't get in Lodi Bar overnight and you don't get out of Lodi Bar overnight. I'm not saying that this is some magical message that as soon as you walk out of here, you won't face things. There are still days that I face things. But I know I got a seat at the table. And if I'll just go park it at the table for a little while, it helps so much. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, Just ask yourself this morning, are you sitting at his table? Are you still in Lodibar? Are you tired of being in a place of isolation? Are you ready to love people again? Are you ready to let them in and trust them again? If you'll just sit down, he'll cover it for you. If you'll just throw your hands up and say, God, I'll climb into your arms one more time. Just carry me back to the table. Your seed is waiting at the table today. Thank you, Pastor. All you have to do is step out and say, I give up, God. Carry me back to the table. I need you to understand who you are this morning and whose you are. You are the king's child. And you have a spot in his house, at his table, waiting for you. All it requires you to do is sit down. That's it. So if that's you this morning and you, you say, I, I'm ready to be back in his presence and sit down at his table. I ask you to step out this morning. Or lift your hands right where you are. You don't even have to step out. You can be right where you are. He will meet you right there. I once was lost, but now I'm found. If that's you this morning, I ask you to just simply take a seat at his table. how sweet the, the sound, sound that saved to wretch like me. How once I was lost, but